What up? This is Dart Adams, and this is episode 49 of Dart Against Humanity. I decided to record this episode early. Uh, I wanted to have more time for it to be up. And usually uh, every episode I do is up just before noon Eastern. So it's 9 a.m. on the West Coast. I decided to move up the timetable. Uh something weird did happen recently uh this journalist from cbs sports who covers who covers college football uh decided to pour through my twitter account my replies and he pulled up a 10 year old twitter reply to me and two of my friends talking about how I didn't think that Steph Curry was going to end up an NBA scorer. And there was actually another uh, tweet that I did along that chain where I actually said that likely he turned out to be Randolph Childress 2.0. Because up until that time, again, this is before the 2009 NBA draft when he's still a, coll- a collegian. I s- said that given his height... The fact he's a combo guard and off previous history, it's likely he's not going to develop at the pro level. And if you spend a high draft pick on him, you'd end up wasting it because I'd seen that happen time and time again. I could run down the list of players that were undersized or short and were combo guards and were known as shooters and they just didn't pan out in the league. Randolph Childress didn't pan out in the league. Um... Bryce Drew didn't pan out in the league. Long laundry list of highly touted players in college basketball that just didn't pan out in the league. So I felt that my take for the time wasn't crazy. However, with the passage of time, Steph Curry has been a transformational player. So... Now that take looks like it was completely wrong. Well, it was ended up being wrong, but now it's a freezing cold take when the fact of the matter is given when it was given and the information I had, I'm not Nostradamus and Dart is not short for Dartstradamus. So, oh, and also just for for, uh, for more context, uh, somebody did a piece about Steph Curry and how nobody saw this coming. And they took the other tweet that I said where I thought it was going to be Randolph Childress 2.0. And they put it at the beginning of this feature. And had my name out there and everything. And my, my at replies, my mentions were, it was horrible. To the point where I had to delete that actual tweet just so people wouldn't keep commenting on it. I didn't delete anything else I said because at the time I felt it made sense. But for this person who doesn't follow me, doesn't know me, Barrett Slee, to do a deep dive into my uh, tweets, my tweet history, I've been on Twitter over 10 years, and pull that one up and then post it on this uh, Instagram account called Freezing Cold Takes. Uh... At about 1 a.m., it had over 5,000 likes and hundreds of comments. And it's probably only gotten worse. 
but I just felt that was weird that somebody who considers himself a journalist would do that. Anyway, moreover, something weird did happen uh, a few days ago. As you know, I don't really sleep and I write a lot. I've done uh, pieces back to back to back. Some of them are still uh, about to go up. Some of them are in the process of being made. They'll probably go up uh, either next week, the beginning of June, second week of June. But I'm doing like, I'm just working nonstop. But I decided to take a writing break and... One of the things that happened recently is uh, we used to have a 24-hour Shaw's right down the street from me. I live in the Back Bay, uh, Lower Roxbury, South End area. So there's a Shaw's right there. They used to be near the, um, you have the uh, Prudential Center and then it's connected to Copley Mall. That Shaw's uh, used to be 24 hours. It stopped being 24 hours. Now it closes at midnight. Opens again at 6 a.m. I'm someone who's up at 2, 3 a.m. And I used to always go to that Shaw's. So I want to buy food. I have limited options. There's a 24-hour CVS in Copley Square, which has nothing as far as food's concerned. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, hey, look, it's 2 a.m. I got to wait another four hours before this Shaw's opens. I could actually walk to the 24-hour Shaw's on BU's campus in Alston and come back before that place opens. And I'm taking a writing break. I have nothing else to do. Let me do that. So at 2 a.m. I walk. That walk is uh, for most people between 50 minutes and an hour. I get there in like 40, 45 minutes. So I get there. And as I'm walking, I realize something. Everything down there is under construction. Also, uh, the, sem- the semester is over, so all commencements are happening. Harvard's commencement was yesterday. So pretty much most of the students are gone. Uh, everything on BU's campus has switched to summer um, hours because the students aren't around and like summer sessions start up. So they're not open till midnight anymore. They close at like 8 now. I think the only thing open late now is still like Insomniac Cookies, which is on um, Commonwealth going straight down. Again, I walk. This is a three-mile walk. I walk into uh, Austin and I go to the Superstar Market where I used to work back in 1998. So I go there and I'm noticing something. Everything around it, there are no lights. The lights are off. Nothing's nothing's up. Again, this is normal because, you know, the school year's over. But then when I get to the star or the Shaw's now, I look up and I realize it's closed. It closes at midnight. And I'm like, did I just walk three miles at two in the morning 
partially in the dark for no reason. So I pull out my phone and I start looking. I start scrolling. And I discovered that they decided to shut down all the 24-hour stores because it didn't make sense to pay workers to work 24 hours when the customer base doesn't come in late anymore like that. And also with like all the new delivery apps and things like that. It just didn't seem to it just didn't seem to make sense as, as far as cost effectivity or resources are concerned paying people. It was then did it hit me that I was a dinosaur. Because it never occurred to me that all of this was happening. And the thing is that this is something that hasn't just happened here and all of a sudden I should be blindsided by it. This has been a trend that's been going on since 2006, 2017, where more and more 24-hour markets were closing down. This should not have blindsided me. The reason it did is because I am a dinosaur in terms of how I work and how I operate. I used to actually be the guy that worked overnight. I used to do overnight jobs. I was the person who had the skill set that made it so that I always worked in retailish areas or overnight jobs like this because I'm somebody who doesn't really sleep. My brain's overclocked. I do a lot of information. I know a lot about music and entertainment and history and stuff like that. So I was always working in a record store or a video store. Or I was always working, you know, late night in a job, you know, such as a retail job. I was a, I worked at a CVS and a 24-hour CVS. I did the overnight shift from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. That's a suggested uh, shift. I used to go longer. So... I was completely blindsided by the idea that, A, um, people don't do this anymore. And it was like a metaphor for like how my life needs to change. Because as I'm out, I'm looking at all the people that work late at night. And they all are familiar with me. I mean, I'm looking around and it's like, you know, laborers, you know, workers... Like all the people that are out really late, like they, I'm a familiar face to them, but there's no one else out. Back in the days, I used to run into people that did what I did at these hours all the time. As the years pass, I'm seeing less and less. I'm seeing fewer and fewer of these people. They now have uh, different jobs. They've settled into different lives. A lot of them have kids, you know, and I'm still the now I'm the lone guy out here doing the same shit I was doing in 97, 98, 99 in terms of being up at 4 a.m. walking the streets of Boston. Nobody else is up. Nobody else is out and nothing's open. So it just like really made me think about, you know what? I'm about to be 44 in August and I need to really 
reevaluate what I'm doing in terms of how I'm working and what I'm doing. And yeah, I mean, this is, it has to happen. But I really feel like that night really cemented a whole lot of things. So one of the weirdest things, too, in terms of like being a writer is uh, the whole gig economy and pitching. Recently, there was a guy who pitched something to ID. I don't even know how to how it's pronounced. Id, like ID magazine. And they stole, they essentially stole his pitch, gave it to somebody else. And it was like a horror story for any writer or any creative. And the thing is that there were some people that were like, well, why don't you post it on your own platform? Not understanding that the reason why you take an idea like this and you pitch it to a a bigger platform is because they pay you. You do it for money. You could post something on your platform and get a few few eyes and it's all yours and then have somebody else see it and steal it from you and then pitch it to ID or you could pitch it directly to them and then have them steal it. I can't tell you how many times I've written something on one of my blogs, whether it be uh, Poisonous Paragraphs back in the day, uh, Bastard Swordsman later. Uh, one of the things I did on the now gone from the internet, scrubbed from the internet blogger house, and I would discover it with a different name on a major music publication. Uh, I used to love seeing my work rearranged on Gawker, which no longer exists. Uh, I didn't enjoy seeing some of the pieces that I wrote reappear later on um I don't remember what the name of a uh, a dude's old site was before he got the ringer. But that one, uh, it was associated with ESPN. But that used to happen. And it's, and I was just like, see people do posts. I was like, I know they read my Twitter timeline or they actually read one of my blogs somewhere. And then they went and they were like, repurpose some things and then bam there were some joints that I did for uh, Killer Boombox back in 2014 that were uh, (laughs) turned sideways and then I would see on a major music publication but in this gig economy it's weird because we're always tasked with writing something And hoping that the person that we're pitching it to sees the value in it so that they run it. And one of the big things that's missing right now in like writing, especially about music, is nuance. Especially in rap writing, uh, hip-hop journalism. There's a lot of nuance. Um, It's not enough that your passion try to, you know, guide you in everything you do. We can read you. We can understand and read and feel your passion, but um, you have to have a knowledge base and an understanding of what you're doing that informs it. Like, it's not enough to know what to ask. You have to know what not to ask, and then you have to understand the ramifications of the questions that you ask, or what can happen after it goes up. 
and what kind of comments you might get after this article goes up. That's a lot to think about, right? A uh, perfect example. I remember one time uh, there was discussion about ghostwriters in, in, in the entire space. And I remember a writer ended up doing a piece about chrono- uh, chronicling a bunch of rap lyrics from our MCs that came out against ghostwriting in their bars. And it was like 20 different examples. And now this is where the nuance comes in. Because they write the article, they write the the, the intro, the heading, you know, the whole thing of it. Then they get right into the bars and they have like a, a mini, uh, like something beneath it to like, you know, tie it all together as, as a narrative. And it's weird because when you go through the piece... The first thing, the glaring, the glaring issue, for me at least, was that at least between 60 and 66% of the MCs who had bars coming out against ghostwriting were ghostwriters. Like, they made their money ghostwriting. So, um... Uh, can you address that? Can you maybe incorporate that into the piece? Uh, somebody's going to notice that, surely, and it's gonna like throw things off because nobody's is gonna be, um, guys. Uh, but the thing about your piece is now, when it comes down to that, there are three things an editor should see that. And address it. And hey, maybe mention it. Some of these people are ghostwriters. Just a heads up. And, you know, find a new direction for this. Or find a way to tie that up. Or tie, uh, uh, tie that in or bring that together. Or maybe do an asterisk and, you know, mention that at the end of the piece. Or before or before we get into the, the, the actual joints. That. And if that doesn't happen, then that means that one thing... The editor's either not doing their job or the editor didn't notice themselves, which is even scarier. Or three, the editor did notice, but since they know that that piece is going to get so much, um, so many eyes on it, so many clicks and bring in so much traffic, it doesn't matter. The negative comments won't matter. The Twitter response, hey, this piece didn't even address this, 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 doesn't matter because all that's going to do is bring more views and have more clicks and bring in more ad revenue. So in the end, it doesn't matter. And when you're dealing in a space where accuracy doesn't matter or Doing your job well doesn't matter on either end, either is the writer or the editor. We're in for some shit. And we are in some scary territory. And the saddest part is we are already there. So 
We're going to come back in the second half and we're going to talk about something else. Yeah, so we're back on another episode of Dart Against Humanity. Uh, I believe, what is this, episode 49? Wow, time flies. Anyways, something that happened uh, leading up to today, it is May 31st, 2019. So, again, one of the big things about this space of music journalism, especially on the rap side, is people like to do anniversary content. And they just treat it like content. They don't actually value it enough to do things like fact-checking, which, again, is the bane of my existence. I'm sure you know that by now. This podcast has been running for over a year. (sighs) Yesterday... And the day before, May 29th, if you look in Wikipedia, May 29th, 1984 is listed as the 30th anniversary of the Fat Boys debut album. And what happens is since a lot of these music sites and a lot of these um, Twitter accounts that do history content and that's their model they source their information from Wikipedia and as we all know Wikipedia is often wrong so there are all these sites running this stuff saying that May 29th 1984 the Fat Boys released their debut album Self-titled, The Fat Boys. Just one problem. In May 1984, The Fat Boys were still called The Disco 3 on Sutra Records. And it wasn't until June 1984 after, again, Charlie Stotler, who ran Tin Pan Apple Records, came up with the, um, the entire hustle to come up with a fake press release saying that the Jacksons who are going on their victory tour were going to have the Fat Boys as their opening act and then came up with an insane promotion to promote the Fat Boys single at the time which was called Human Beatbox slash Fat Boys as the Disco 3 going into June and July. Uh, Both these things thrust the Disco 3 into the spotlight and Charlie then managed to flip it on his ear and get these guys on the Fresh Fest, which was going to be a big tour with the biggest rap acts of the time. So the Fat Boys were not the Fat Boys at the time and their biggest song was as the Disco 3. The first single that they had as the Fat Boys Jailhouse Rap didn't drop until uh, September, October 1985, I mean 1984, and their second single f- didn't drop as the Fat Boys until 1985, and that's likely when the album came out, the album likely came out in the fall, so there's no way that album could have been released in May 1984, before the Fresh Fest, they weren't anybody to even get on the Fresh Fest, so how did they have an album as the Fat Boys when they were the Disco 3, and clearly all you gotta do is just go back and look. So what I did was I did videos because, again, 
there are a lot of people that don't want to read. So you have to do something visual. So what I did was I took my phone, the same one I'm speaking into right now, the same iPhone I haven't changed in years, and I'm going to have to upgrade at some point. And I made videos, and I showed the billboard charts, and I did multiple ones, and I broke down everything in 2 minute and 20 second videos, 140 seconds at a time and broke down everything for everybody so that they could understand fully what was going on. And the thing is that it just took me less than 30 minutes to figure out this is wrong by doing fact checking. The next day was actually the um 30th anniversary of Kumo D's Knowledge is King album. The Knowledge is King album. So this is what happens. Um, Kumo D releases the Knowledge is King album May 30th, 1989. Uh, and you're going to hear this wrong because, again, Wikipedia is wrong. Um, Wikipedia lists LL Cool J's Walking with a Panther album. I believe they list the release date at June 13th. That's erroneous. It was actually released on a Friday. It was released June 9th. It was released June 9th, 1989 on a Friday. And the reason why, and I need to explain this, the reason why uh, Def Jam Columbia at the time used to do that is because what would happen was they would get an, either an extra week of sales. So when it entered the charts, they entered the charts higher than other albums and that's what they wanted. They wanted the highest chart entrance possible. That was their whole idea. This is why um, they released uh, same label, uh, Columbia CBS. That's why they also released, um, later on, they released um, Terrence Trent Darby's album on a Friday. They released uh, George Michael's album on a Friday. They released Public Enemy albums on Fridays. They would get higher it would delay it for about a week and they would get higher chart entrances because they had more sales. In the case of um in the case of LL Cool J, what happened was, and this is an interesting uh thing that happened, they expected him to enter high to start. What happened was he entered low. For some reason, uh he entered at number 87. On one week. But the next week, he jumped all the way from 87 to number 8. Which is what Columbia would have preferred. They would have preferred he entered the charts at 8 as opposed to 87. And also, um, Red Man's album, which came out later in like 1992. Red Man's album was released on a Friday. And it entered the charts high for similar reasons. But again, these are all things that you learn when you do research. So, uh, that particular Kumo D album battled LL Cool J's album, Walking with a Panther. It also battled um, Soul to Souls, Keep On Moving, which was released June 13th. 
Um, I'll get into more into those albums and the battles of summer 1989 and the later episode, um, likely in June, because it'll be Black Music Month. And, you know, it battled a few other albums. Like another album I'm going to talk about at a later date, Heavy D and the Boys, Big Time, one of the greatest summer albums in rap music history. I believe I did a, a previous episode about um seasonal albums. I think I did one specifically about winter albums, and then I think I went into a rant about summer albums, how you could break them down. But yeah, when we get into these summer months, I'm still waiting for it to actually turn summer. We keep having these false starts. What'll happen is one day it'll be really nice. It'll be like 75. Next day it'll be like 80. And then we'll have two days where it's in the 50s. And I have to wear pants again. It's May 31st. I have not uncovered my air conditioner. I haven't turned off the heat totally yet. It's insane. Matter of fact, I just realized that it's almost 7 o'clock and I haven't lifted up. The shades, because I've been doing this podcast for so long. I think when I started doing it, the sun wasn't even really up. I'm sure the sun was up. The sun's up at five. I was just been so um, locked in. So another thing that I do again, since I don't really sleep, is every Friday, Netflix adds the new shows or movies at our time. 3 a.m. West Coast time, midnight. Since I don't sleep, I actually watch everything that gets added to Netflix at 3 a.m. I'm talking right now, it's almost 7 a.m. East Coast time. I haven't slept, but this is normal for me. And I know for some of you, they're like, wait a minute. So... You talking into a phone right now doing a podcast and you haven't slept in how long? You sound crazy. Trust me, I'm not. And then again, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that when people say they're not crazy, do you trust them? Probably not. You crazy than somebody that says trust them. Um, so I've made a decision because, again, I'm a person who... actually has to plan ahead because, you know, I'm an adult. And when you work in a gig economy where you're relying on monies to come in at certain times for your survival, (laughs) you have to plan ahead. And I was doing a really, I had a real laissez-faire attitude with this podcast. Like, if you were paying attention in seasons one and two, I recorded... But once every like three to five days, I didn't have a solid time for when I recorded posted up episodes. And then between the space where I was trying to work on some um, other projects and try to get other things in motion. I realized that it's time to treat this podcast like something serious. And when you value something, you don't have a laissez faire laid back attitude about it. You actually treat it like it's important. So one of the things I did 
was I said, I'm going to assign a day where I upload episodes. I'm going to assign a specific time when I upload episodes by. I'm going to give myself constraints. And also, I'm doing this not just for me. I'm doing it for the reader of the listeners, the readers, the listeners. I write so much that I think everything in terms of reading and I'm not this shit is not written down. Clearly, it would be clearer. It would make more sense. It would be more concise. I wouldn't sound like I'm rambling all the goddamn time. So I decided, hey, maybe I should actually. No value this and get organized. So for the listeners, I'm going to actually have a time. So they can get used to knowing that it's coming on. Because again, when I started the podcast, I said I'm going to treat it like, you know, Netflix or, or a C series on a network where you have 13 episodes, 22 episodes, 25 episodes. I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, then I might as well go the whole way and assign a day and a time for people. Don't do it half-ass. That being the case, getting to the point that I'm making... I've already figured out that episode 60 is going to be the end of season three. And episode 60 is going to land. I, and I didn't plan this. Um, August 16th, 2019, which is the day before my 44th birthday. And then I realized that if I started this season on March 1st, I need to start the next season on another first. So I believe season four will begin on um, November 1st, 2019 and run into 2020. And then I'm going to take another break because, again, there are things I cannot announce yet. But based on how certain things go over the next, it's going to be June, over the next uh, four to six months. I'm going to have to reevaluate, hopefully have to reevaluate things and things might change a little bit, hopefully, because, again, things have to change and I shouldn't have to be 45, which I'm going to be going into 2020 and still be the guy who thinks he's going to be walking around the city at 2, 3, 4 a.m. in Austin looking for a place that has food 24 hours. You know? No. I can't live like that anymore. Well, I mean, I can't live like that anymore because nothing's open. <sighs> See, in New York, things open 24 hours. But also, here's the difference. In New York, things are open 24 hours and there's no maintenance and everything's dirty as hell. Because they can never take a break and actually, you know, take care of themselves. And that's another thing that I realized as I was walking back from Austin Brighton. I was like, damn, there's nothing's open in the city. How can the city do this, this and this? Then I remembered my time in New York where we'd be walking around in Brooklyn at 3 a.m. and people are out. And things are still open and you could go anywhere, get a chopped cheese or go anywhere and do this. And this is open and this spot is open and people are actually out at a place drinking and having a good time at like three when everything closes in Boston by two. And I'm just like, well, also the thing is that as I'm walking around here, 
street lights ain't working the streets are filthy what's that smell there's always someone around here and there's never a time when anything could be maintained or taken care of you go into a subway station you realize there's no train coming in the subway station you got filthy metro card machines it's like damn then you like realize the importance of actually you know taking a break and taking care of yourself and not going 24 hours and how you can burn yourself out doing that but again you're on um you're on a uh, survival mode so you feel you have to go this way but then again there's this there's the saying work smarter not necessarily harder you run yourself into the ground and you're never going to get what you were trying to get you have to stand back assess things and do things in a better way in a better manner and i always say once you know better you do better so there's that um so i did my piece i didn't write about um Kumo D's Knowledge is King album even though like it was a big album for 1989 because coming up in June I have a much bigger piece I'm going to do which I'm actually working on right now which I'm not going to talk about I'm going to talk about it when we get closer matter of fact um, today's the 31st I'll actually talk about it next week as the piece might be going. It will go up likely on Friday because they don't post things on Saturday. So, yeah, I'll talk about it next week when it goes up. I'm actually in the process of writing it right now. If you pay any attention, you already know what the article is going to be about. If you know what I do. If you don't know, well, yeah, you'll be surprised. And if you do know, you'll kind of still be surprised because I do so much research that I find out things and tie things together that people didn't realize were actually tied together or going on. That's how that's how I want to when I write something, I want to make people realize, oh, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have gone that far. I wouldn't have gone that deep. And the reason I do it is also because I tell myself that I'm only as good as the last thing I've written and I've written pieces that were phenomenal that everybody's giving me credit, giving me props for, and I was writing another piece that I submit to somebody, and they're like, um, uh, what's this bullshit you just sent me? You never think that it's impossible for you to turn in some trash. Once you start thinking that you can, everything you touch is gold, and that you never have to guard against being mediocre or of having a clunker or writing something that doesn't make sense or isn't up to standard that's when you do it so i always try to tell myself i'm trash and i'm only as good as the last thing i wrote and i can be trash again there are plenty of people that play sports put up a 40 40 point game come out the next week shoot i mean come out the next game and shoot like seven for 24 let me tell you a story it's going to be the last thing i say on this podcast because god damn I want to stop talking I'm going into my room that's me closing the door um it's not like I have fucking foley artists in here making these noises and that's me lifting up the shade I have a piece 
in my room on my wall next to all these posters. I've released albums. Uh, I've done talks. I've matter of fact, I've done panels. I have posters and mementos of all that. And the thing above all of them is I have an article that I wrote a review of Daft Punk's random access memories that I submitted to my friend Greg Ball. G. Valentino Ball of Killer Boombox at the time when he was working for the um he was he was working for a newspaper. And let me tell you, there's <laughs> three sets of corrections here. One in blue pen, one in red pen, and another in black. Because first Greg edited it, then he passed it to someone else who edited it, and then he passed it to someone at the paper who edited it. And at the time I did it, I wanted to submit it because I knew I would get an immediate check. An immediate check. So I wrote it like somebody who's trying to get quick money. And I look at this every time because I remember that before I wrote this, I wrote something that was that got a gang of praise that ran in the Bay State Banner. This was the paper, the Bay State Banner. I wrote something that people were coming up, stopping me on the street and thanking me for uh, thanking me for it. It's like, yo, that was amazing. So right after that, I was like, yo, let me get this check real quick. Let me write this uh, this review. And it was garbage. It was garbage to the point where Greg invited me out. Greg said, hey, yo, meet me at Whiskey's. We're going to have wings whatever and ever so we out there we at whiskeys we having a good time chopping it up then greg goes into his bag pulls out the paper i immediately start laughing he hands it to me and he explains to me first i went through it then i handed it to homegirl she went through it then we brought it to the guy at the paper and he went through it I didn't fold it. I wasn't far from home. I came home and I taped it to my wall as if it was the greatest thing I ever wrote. Why? Because that meant more to me than anything great I ever wrote. Because that is what I'm all about. I want to remind myself that at any moment, no matter how good the last thing I did is, I have to guard against coming up whack. Or posting some bullshit. So I don't get a swelled head. So I don't think I'm great. You could tell me all. You could tell me I'm great at what I do. Whatever. It's going to go in one ear and out the other. Not because I don't have confidence in myself. It's because I know once I start believing. That I'm great. Then I don't have to work at it. <sighs> That's the perfect place to end this episode. Because I don't want to talk anymore. <laughs>